previously on The Avatar Returns. You see, when I say that I don't listen to the shows that I'm on, I also meant while I'm on them. AJ, you know all about that, about being wrong. So true. It's because people, uh, our listeners, uh, care about you. Not me so much, but you. What you wore in the pilot episode is what you're wearing the rest of the show. But Paul, I believe that when the world needed you most, uh, you vanished. And now uh, some years have passed, and they've <laughs> discovered the new zookeeper, a zookeeper named Paul. I mean, that's not the flimsiest of segues we've ever used in our podcast careers, so I guess we can go with that. So, so AJ, I, I want to make it clear that from now on, when we discuss Azula, we make sure we note how Paul hates her. When I kill you, and I become the new Fire Lord, my fire is going to be blue, motherfuckers. It's the most I've ever respected you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm Paul. I'm Eric. And I'm AJ. And each week, we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Uh, This week, we continue book three uh, with chapters 303 through 305. That's The Painted Lady, Sokka's Master, and The Beach. Eric and I have seen both of these series before, but this is AJ's first trip to the world of Avatar. That means there will be spoilers, but only up to the point that we're discussing tonight. Uh, But before we get to the show, um, Eric, I thought I'd give you an opportunity to uh, bring a subject to the table. I thought maybe you might have some words to say on this, uh, the news that just dropped about uh, Pacific Rim 2. Yeah, you know, I saw this last night and I have very mixed feelings about it and they're very confused feelings actually because every single aspect of this i feel kind of both ways about except for one thing which is that del toro guillermo del toro is not directing it that's just a a net loss to the universe (laughs) yeah so no good comes of del toro not directing this but then you start getting into weird stuff like so now the pacific room 2 now has neither of the original people involved in it involved in this one someone different's writing it someone different's directing it now the writer of it is pretty good so that might work out, but now we were completely without the original creators, basically. So who's who's the new writer? It, it was John Spates, right? That is who I think it is. Um, okay. Yeah, who who has the unfortunate um, history of having written the first version of Prometheus. Prometheus, right? And then and then posted his original script, which everyone says is actually pretty good. So, um, and then they the new director is where it all gets confusing for me. It's Stephen Denight, um, Stephen S. Denight, excuse me who produced one of my favorite TV shows, Spartacus, which is fantastic. He also wrote for Angel, and it's another one of my favorite shows. Um, On the other hand, what I love about him has never been his direction, which he's done very, very little of. Even Spartacus, he never directed a single episode of Spartacus. So is he up to taking the reins from Guillermo del Toro? Like, is that where we're going to go? I mean, now if I was writing it, I'd be all over that. I would be all over Stephen S. Tonight writing this movie. Directing it, I don't know how to feel. I don't know where this is coming from. It's just a weird, weird situation to me. Well, it is. Go ahead. It is very strange that he is not writing it. Like, he, as far as I, so if he never directed an episode of Spartacus, um, he, he, this may be his first directing credit. I don't know. He directed the season finale of Daredevil. But that's the only episode of Daredevil he directed. And he directed, I think, two or three. Three episodes of Angel, maybe. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking right now. Uh, let's see. As director, he 
did three three episodes of Angel, two episodes of Smallville. Uh, one no, episode, no, one, no one wants that on their career. <laughs> one episode of Dollhouse and one episode of Daredevil. Those are his okay. directing so, credits. Like, don't get me wrong. He has good credits. Obviously, Buffy, Angel, Daredevil. Uh, but uh, so my feelings on Pacific Rim are that on paper, it's terrible. On paper, it's bad. Um, Del Toro gave it life. Like, without Del Toro's sense of of rhythm and without his like the, the the clever way he shoots everything i don't know uh i mean i i, I don't want to naysay denight i hope he kills it but without del toro the the mere idea of a pacific rim 2 seems kind of pointless well i would say um i need to revisit pacific rim because uh Listeners to our other show, Gobbledygeek, are probably very familiar with the fact that I am contentious among the three of us for being the one that didn't necessarily love Pacific Rim. Um, I wanted to. I really wanted to. I love Del Toro, and I love the concept. You, AJ, you say on paper Pacific Rim sounds totally stupid. I'm not saying the premise of it's bad. I'm saying the actual script is not good. Oh, I, I, okay. So you you read the script, and it's terrible? No, I'm no. I'm just basing it off of what's in the movie. Like the the characters and, <laughs> okay. and even the acting mostly are not very good. Okay, a- AJ is just saying things basically. <laughs> just, <laughs> okay, I got you. Just know that. I got it's you. Fine. At any rate, I I fell in love with Pacific Rim based on the concept for it, and then the trailers as it was coming. I thought this looks amazing. The movie itself, um, I guess maybe it was the acting and 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 like the writing. It underwhelmed me. And so I walked out of it disappointed. That has only been exaggerated the more I've had to talk about the film. So I need to revisit it. Um, I do like Stephen DeKnight. I mean, I like the properties he's worked on and um, I certainly hope that he can be successful. I just want to point out that uh, Deadpool, which um, Eric, I don't think you've watched that film. AJ and I both saw it. I loved it. AJ liked it. Um, that was also done by a first-time director, someone who had even less experience than DeKnight does. So and You know what? I will say, I walked out of Deadpool, which I wasn't a huge fan of. It was all right. Um, but I walked out of Deadpool uh, actually impressed just because that was that guy's first time directing anything, yeah. and he came from like a video game background. Yeah. I was going in expecting the worst, and he actually did a pretty good job. So, yeah. again, I hope DeKnight kills it. I just, you know... Without Del Toro, I don't know. Yeah, that's the, the director, the director yeah. of Deadpool did not have to follow up Guillermo Del Toro. Right. So here's the other thing that's is that true. the Knight could come in and do a perfectly okay job, or even do a good job. Let's be honest, he could do a good job, and he's still not going to be anywhere near the class of Del Toro because not that many people are. Like that's just that's just not going to happen. So there's almost no way for this movie not to be like less well directed than the first Pacific Rim. There's it's, almost no way that's happening. It's going to be less well-directed, but here's the thing. If it's much better written, it might even out. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. It's it's tough for me. Because, AJ, I made, a, I made a crack at you, but I, I, I do agree with you that uh, that the actual scripting of Pacific Rim is, um, is hit or miss. Uh, I think it has some good ideas in it and some interesting characters and some good things in it, but it is almost entirely Del Toro. And I would... I would bet money that that was a worse script before Del Toro got involved in the project. So that's just that is my guess. As long as Charlie Hunnam doesn't come back, I think we might be all right. Oh, you got to get Charlie Hunnam back. You need something <laughs> to do a tortured, not British accent. Oh no! Like Del Toro even put him in Crimson Peak. 
Like, I don't know. I don't know what the, the relationship is there, but man, someone's, no. someone's got something on somebody. Get, get it, get a new muse, buddy. Um, well, I, I think, I think that like, like if I were directing him, Del Toro probably has the same thing, which is that I would really like to be Charlie Hunnam. So having him around, <laughs> on set, you can, especially when you're telling him what to do, it's kind of like you're controlling a puppet body that's hotter than yours. So, <laughs> so this is like, this is like the conversation we just had about uh, Hitchcock, where Hitchcock what? was casting, uh, actors that he wanted to be exactly well yeah. that's why i get i understand hitchcock intimately and and obviously del toro is on board and is like man i really wish i was that charlie hunnam dude so i'm gonna but i'm gonna put charlie hunnam in this and i'm gonna have him take his shirt off and i'm gonna imagine that's my <laughs> wow um eric let me ask you if um it's all speculation at this point we have no idea or as far as i know we have no idea what the premise we know nothing about what pacific room 2 is going to be would you do you feel like you'd rather see the second film just completely be its own thing? Um, since it's not going to have the same writer director or any of that, do you want to see it blaze its own trail and, and like not try to match Del Toro or do you want to see Stephen tonight's take on a Del Toro world? So are you saying what do I want Cloverfield two or 10 Cloverfield lane is what you're asking me? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. No. no. So what, I mean, so here I'm a little tainted on this. I want to say that I heard the, what Del Toro was saying about the premise of Pacific Rim two when he was working on it. And it's so cool that I kind of want that premise. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to let that go. That said, I would always rather a filmmaker do something in their voice than try to mimic someone else's unless they are extraordinarily good at mimicking a voice, which some directors are. But generally speaking, I would rather them do whatever makes sense for them. And and I don't think Tonight's Voice is so far off of Del Toro's that it's going to have to stray far. Spartacus is like big and operatic in its emotions and Del Toro can lean into that pretty well. So I don't think he's going to be off base. But I really, really want the idea that Del Toro had where the Rift aliens come back having incorporated pieces of Gypsy Danger into some of them so they're biomechanical kaiju. I really nice. want that. I really, really want that. But we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Well, will that – can I just speculate that that at some point would involve uh, one of our heroes having to pilot a kaiju cyborg? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm so in for that. So in for that. All right. Well, who knows? Uh, maybe tonight. Uh, I mean, tonight has surrounded, has been surrounded by amazing talent throughout his career. So maybe some of that is rubbed off, and maybe he's just a a natural auteur. Maybe he'll blow us away as director. Maybe I hope he hires a great cinematographer. Yeah. Um, and I hope that he has really, really brushed up because he has big shoes to fill. And making a movie about gigantic things punching each other is actually not very easy for your first big directing gig. So. Good luck tonight. I would. I want to love it because I like what he's done before, but I am nervous. So we'll see. All right. Well, uh, so let's move from that into another story of uh, a character pretending to be something that they're not. I guess as a a painful segue. I'm, I'm really looking forward <laughs> to tonight's two episodes that we're going to discuss. I'm, I'm really... Tonight's two episodes. No, tonight we're doing three. We're doing three this time, Eric. Shit, no. Get with the yeah, program, is it, man. Is anybody, does anybody want to hear my segue? Sure. Let's move on to another property that appropriates Asian culture. Oh, Jesus. AJ, I beg you to stop everything. <laughs> <laughs> Just... okay. Oh, hey, there is, a, there is a really great bit 
on the most recent Last Week Tonight with John Oliver about Hollywood whitewashing in yeah. the uh, Avatar movie was included in that. Mm -hmm. And it's great. It's perfect. Uh, I But it'll, it's always whenever this topic comes up, most of the voice cast is white. And I don't know how to how to reconcile that. That's fair. That's actually very it's a very fair point. It's something that is that has made that I've thought about, too, that. It's cool that the characters are not white, and it does matter. I mean, that matters on a yeah, especially yeah, yeah. when you're a kid when you're watching you know, like what you're taking in as visual, um, and and the voice doesn't have to match. But that said, we never cast people of color enough in the first place, so casting a bunch of white people to play everyone on the show, and and that's mostly the main characters. They they do a lot better job on the side characters. Yeah, obviously, show, obviously, found. obviously, there's Mako's. Asian and I I don't yeah. know what Dante Bosco is. Dante Bosco is I I think he's Hispanic. Okay. Yeah. So um yeah, I it's No, no, he's a, he's he's of Asian. He's like an Asian American. I take it back. Oh. All righty. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I I I'm I'm pretty sure he's Filipino is what I now that I'm I'm remembering, but um I guess it doesn't have to be 100% when it comes to animated stuff, but you know, I it is it would be nice. It's actually something that Big Hero Six did a pr much better job of, I would mm -hmm. say, mm -hmm. when it cast. Um, it was, it was not all white people behind the otherwise diverse on the screen cast, which was pretty great. So you know, you make compromises. You I find with Hollywood stuff because there's like this default of pool that you pull from. But it would have been nice to have, you know, I I hate to be like, well, I don't want Mae Whitman on this because I love Mae Whitman, but you know, so anyways, yeah, I agree. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, well, that was nice. That was a rare moment of a, of agreement between the two of us. I appreciate that. Yeah, I I'm not going to get used to it, but I liked it. I, I can't let this stand. So now let's hear your horrible take on uh, episode three hundred three, the painted lady. Take us away. Actually, yeah. before before we get into the actual thing, I just want to say this is an exciting week for me because this is two of my all time favorite episodes, and one of these episodes is in contention for my favorite episode of the show. Wow. wow. So, so I just want to get that out. This is actually Damn. like, I'm really excited about I, these three. I, I, I don't know if I can, I'm not sure if any of these are in contention for a favorite of the entire series, but yeah, I, as I alluded to last week, um, at least one of these is among my favorite of the series. So when Paul asked me what I thought about this bunch of episodes, I think I said like, thumbs up, not as enthusiastic as last week. Wow. So that's where we are. Uh, you guys really like the painted lady. Yeah. Huh? This is my least favorite of the three we watched. I really okay. like it, but it is my Mine least too. favorite of the three we watched. I thought it was okay. Um, it was like toward the end of it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the one they were really excited about that Eric <laughs> thought we were going to discuss last time. And it's all right, I suppose. It would have been the best episode of the last three, but it's the worst episode of these three. It's just an, it's just got – it's it, – it basically got bumped from like the the AAA league into the AA league, or is it the other way around? I can never remember what's a better league, but either way, it got bumped it, leagues and it went from being top of like top of the division to to fighting for a playoff spot. It still would have been the worst of last week. Oh, give me a break! It was going to be worse than Footloose episode. <laughs> I love I love that episode though. I thought that was a great episode. Wow! All right, all right. There we go. The painted lady is okay. My thing with the painted lady. Paul already laughed at me for this. Feel free to laugh at me as well, Eric, and anyone listening, apparently. But the Painted Lady, when you get down to its core, is basically just a less good episode of that one from the first season that I love that you guys hated. Uh, the, the prison one where Katara does, wants to do, like, the uprising on the, the ship. Yeah. 
This is not it's like pa- that episode at all. It is, and it's <laughs> less good. Yeah, I, I didn't get the comparison he was making, and and it's not less good than that one. But <laughs> it's neither less good nor is it really the. the okay, so I, I want to say that that this is half of a good episode, which is why I like it. I actually think the first half of this episode is pretty weak. There's a lot of like. I was actually getting nervous that we were getting into a beginning of season two thing at this point when I was watching this, where it's like a so lot of them, a lot of them traveling around and and stupid crap happening and just kind of treading water and soccer's going on and on about the schedule and and the weird joke about the brother who's really the same guy and a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that was, like, yeah, that was bad. That was. It, can we just a, talk for a second about how that was bad? That was that was not good. That was not a good joke. I, I still don't even Doc and Shoe. What's that? Doc and Shoe. And Bushi. And Bushi. Oh, can't, for, can't fucking forget Bushi. That yeah. was terrible. That was, like, as much as I love when the show, like, I, again, not to bring this up again, I thought last week's Footloose episode was really funny. I thought that was one of their better comedy episodes. So I like when the show can be silly, but this was just, like, a, a, an unfunny bit that they kept going back to over and over. Yeah, it was it was not good. And But then, on the other hand, this... At the back half of this episode, there's two fantastic scenes. Well, one pretty good scene and one really good scene. The scene where Aang chases after her is really good. And the scene where they fight off the mm-hmm. Fire Nation with, like, trickery, both Katara's power and Aang like, kicking in for some trickery is pretty phenomenal. That is a really phenomenal sequence. I'm actually going to agree with you on this, Eric. I think the second half of this episode is good. Um I- I don't think this is a bad episode. It's not Swamp People level or whatever that was called. The Swamp. Um, the, the, the Swamp, fine. Um, the second half of this episode is good. I think the two best things about this episode are the fact that when Aang finds out that Katara has been uh, deceiving them to help people, com- he's completely on board. I love that reaction. Obviously, Sokka and Toph were not as thrilled, but they come around eventually. And you're right, that scene at the end where... Um, they all come together. Like, it's the whole group trying to make Katara appear as the Painted Lady. That was really cool. It, it's a really well-executed scene, too. It's not only, like, a neat idea, which is a neat idea on the face of it, but it is amazingly well-executed. And actually, it totally turned me around on the episode because for the first half, I was like, eh, eh, I don't know about this. And I had remembered liking it, and I was trying to figure out why I had remembered liking this episode. And then that scene hit, and I was like, aha, this is why I like this episode. <laughs> so... Wow. <laughs> Here, l- l- let me ask you a question. Okay. Um, because this is something I, I, I feel like I must have just missed this detail because I tried to f- run it back in my head and I couldn't figure it out. How is she getting all of this food to give these people? Did I miss that completely? Uh, well, I guess they do mention food early, but... Like she was, she was stealing it from the Fire Nation, wasn't she? I mean, from the Fire Nation factory, wasn't it? Food that was supposed to go to the military. In the well, factory? It, it was at the end, like after her and Aang uh, blew up the factory. That's when the soldiers show up, and they, there's the the containers with food that have the Fire Nation symbol on it. I don't know if she'd been stealing food for them before that. I know before that, what we'd seen her do was sneak into town and heal people. Right, but I'm pretty sure they mentioned food at the I beginning. Think, but you I know think what? you're I'm right. Willing I... to, I'm willing to believe that she was just nicking it from the factory. I, c- I couldn't make that connection. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure about that. You're right. They did mention food. Like uh, the first, like the second day they go back, I think uh, 
Shu or what, whoever the fuck he is at that point, <laughs> says some some nice person brought us food and I think he even said medicine maybe. Yeah, he he did. Yeah. Um, and another thing I actually really like about this episode is that um, there's I I, I kind of wish they had gotten into this a little bit more, but there is some conflict in that, uh, I mean, the whole reason Katara starts being the Painted Lady is that there's this conflict between her and Sokka, and I, I see both sides of it. Katara sees people in help and wants to help them, because that's who she is, whereas Sokka argues that, you know, because he does have that schedule, that the invasion schedule that he keeps going back to, and I have something to say about that in a second, um, and he's like, he has the line, we can't go around helping every rinky-dink town we walk into, we'll help them all by taking out the Fire Lord. And I, I think that's actually a really good conflict. I completely understand both sides. I feel like it could have been mine just a little bit more, but I, I liked that 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 they raised that issue at least. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I do like that conflict between the two of them. Um, something that I don't remember if it gets better as we go forward in in uh, book three, but up to this point in book three, um, the their time management seems a little off. Uh, because it it seems like, you know, they're flip flopping back and forth between we have to run, you know, we're on we're on a schedule, we have to keep moving, and then they'll stop and spend a few days in, in with Aang going to school and throwing dance parties, and now they're back in a rush. And uh, the next episode we're going to talk about is them stopping and letting Sokka go and uh, study with a master, although that is right. pretty rushed as well. But anyways, yeah, it's a it's a little inconsistent, but. For the most part, I like the conflict that Sokka really is trying to keep them on task. Um, and, and speaking of the invasion schedule, so I think I mentioned last week, uh, this is the first season, season that I've watched on Amazon Prime Streaming. Mm -hmm. And if you watch it on a, a, an actual computer, uh, which I did this week, they have this X-ray feature. Uh, that uses uh -huh. IMDb. And what's really cool about that is in any given scene, if you like just moved your cursor, it will bring up the the voice cast list of only the characters who were in that scene. Oh, that's um, kind of cool. The, however, in no scene did they uh, mention uh, the voice actor who plays uh, Aang. Aang is in almost every scene and they never mention him. <laughs> that was... Uh, Zachary Tyler... Tyler Eisen, by the way. Yeah, they, they never they never mentioned him. Wow. So the, the, even the even the people putting in the metadata are think that Ang is the most boring character on the show. <laughs> oh, ouch! <laughs> ouch! Um, but no, I, I bring that up because they also it also pops up with uh, and not like in an invasive way. Only if you move your your cursor, it pops up with like trivia bits. And one of them, and I don't quite. I feel like there's not enough detail in the episode to support this, but they're arguing that. The, Sokka's invasion schedule is supposed to be representative of the of your regular like of your average animation schedule, like TV animation schedule. <laughs> that was the bit of trivia that Amazon had for me. Right, I don't okay. know. I, I don't know what supports that, but that was in there. Huh. You know, it actually okay. Thinking about the way it's laid out, that that actually, I'd have to think. I, I don't remember clearly enough, but that could have been laid out in the way that you lay out a like a like an animation schedule for getting like um what sh like scenes and shots need done by when so that may have been accurate that may have been accurate i would have to go back and look at it again but that's that is not implausible hmm. um all right well i feel like i need to stand up for this episode a little bit um i <sighs> 
there's a simple reason why I enjoy this episode as much as I do. But before I get to that, I I, I kind of want to say I agree with you. The second half of this episode is better than the first. However, I do I do like the conflict. I mean, I do like the the town. First of all, I, I always love uh, lake town type settings. I love towns that are built out over water. I don't know why. Um, but I like the town. I like the conflict. Uh, it's suitably disgusting. The whole uh, polluted water and all of the like mutated double two-headed fish and the the oysters that apparently have eyes on their shells or whatever. I don't know. It was it was suitably disgusting. I was I I was grossed out by that and felt bad for the townspeople that they had to eat that food. Um, I did like the conflict with Katara wanting to help the people and everybody and and. Uh, Sokka and even Aang kind of saying, no, we, we need to stay on task. We need to keep moving. Um, but the, so the real reason why this episode has such a, a place in my heart is that I'm, I just love the stories that feature uh, quote unquote superheroes. So I, I was a huge fan of Zuko having his blue spirit secret identity. Uh, because it, I, I, I don't know. I just liked that. I liked this character having a whole other life that he got to lead. I'm a, I'm a superhero fan. I looked at it like he had a superhero, you know, secret identity. Um, even Toph kind of had one when she was, uh, when she was the blind bandit, uh, when we were introduced to her and now Katara gets her chance to be kind of a superhero. So I dream of, uh, the Avatar world having its own sort of Justice League come together. The Blue Spirit, the Blind Bandit, the Painted Lady, and, I don't know, the Avatar, I guess. And Sokka would have to be Wang Fire or somebody. I don't know who Sokka would be. <laughs> would you say Wang, Wang Fire? Fire? I like it. Wang Fire, yeah. Oh, that's right. That was... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Can All I ask, right. what is the pun there, Wang Fire? Is it like a like a dick joke? <laughs> <laughs> Like, is it like an STD joke? I don't get it. I still don't. I thought about that really hard last week and didn't bring it up, and I have no idea. I, I think it was just a name. I think it was just, I don't know. Wang fire. All right, fine. Mm. Anyways, but, I mean, that really, that's that's really it. I, I, I like the design of the painted lady, at least the, the fake painted lady uh, that Katara plays. I like her design. Um, I love that final battle sequence, the the trickery that they use. I thought that was amazing. And I, I it's interesting that um, in a world that uh, <laughs> that deals with uh, benders, like here's the the Fire Nation army. They are they are seasoned firebenders, uh, and all you have to do is add a little, uh, you know, quote unquote spirit, put a veneer of spirit magic on it and add a little, you know, myth and legend to it. And they can suddenly become terrified of what is basically just a waterbender with a little bit of airbending trickery added in there. So I don't know. I thought that was interesting. And I did like the complexity at the end when, you know, she's done all of these amazing things for them and driven away the the troops and all of that. But when they realize she is a waterbender, Mm -hmm. they still instinctively turn on her. That was kind of resolved really quickly. But uh, again, like the conflict between Sokka and Katara, I liked that it was there. Yeah. I mean, this is not a bad episode. I just wasn't... I think it's because I didn't care for the first half very much. And then they, they return to the, the, the Dakshu Bushi joke again really 
hard at the end, and I was just like, staring at the screen, like, why did they just devote the final minute of this episode to to that nonsense? <laughs> I just, I, I didn't care one way or the other about the Doc Shoe Bushy stuff. It certainly didn't offend me or anything, but yeah. I, I do think we would be Bushy, remiss if we more like shit. Well, there we go. Okay, that was that was, that was high level. Um, <laughs> um, That's why I'm here. I, I do think we would be really remiss if we didn't note how awesome Katara's painted lady like costume design is. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, it's totally. a really great design. It's really fantastic. It's one of the best looks in the show. It's just like the 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 face makeup, the overall look. It's it's awesome. It's really awesome. It is super cool, and I I really want to see her pair up with the Blue Spirit. Damn it! Are you are you I, shipping? Are you shipping their secret identities? They they no they don't they have to partner up. They don't need to get together and bump costumed uglies or anything. But I just I think they'd look cool next to each other, don't you? But well, actually, you're not the only person because on DeviantArt there is someone oh, who no. has drawn a blue spirit and painted lady team up um, p- picture. Nice. So, I mean that that, that would be that would be pretty cool. That Maybe we awesome. can get one of these comics to to do that. Yes. Um, um, but. To go back to, real quick to something I was saying earlier, this being a, a less good version of the prison episode, uh, the, what I mean by that is this is an episode that – that was like the first real Katara-centric episode. And this is also obviously all about Katara and about her need to help people and to show them that they are worth something. I mean there is that really good moment at the end where she says it doesn't matter if the painted lady is real or not because your problems are real and this river is real. You can't wait around for someone to help you. You have to help yourself. And I just thought I understand literally no one else agrees with me. I just thought that episode in season one was a better expression of that sentiment. It's fine. I'm wrong. It's fine. <laughs> well, you are, but uh, yeah, maybe not necessarily about that. This is going to be. This is one of those uh, Eric and AJ hate Jet things. I'm. I'm not entirely sure. I hated the prison episode the way you're sort of portraying it right now. I certainly didn't like it as much as you did, though. I, I don't actually remember it. So like... <laughs> <laughs> well, that tells you. Perfect. That tells you what Perfect. you need to know right there. Um, Let's see. I want to comment that the uh, we're talking about how cool Katara's painted lady getup is. The real painted lady that we see at the very end of the episode, not quite as cool looking. Uh, although it is worth noting, she's one of the very few um, human spirits, human looking spirits that we get to see throughout this series. Uh, uh, Princess Yui, or Yui, or I can't remember how to say her name. Princess Yui, when she became the Moon Spirit, she's still. We've seen her a couple times. She still looks human, um, but for the most part, all the spirits we run into are very like inhuman looking, or either animalistic or demonic looking. Yeah, I, I do think it's a cool design. I I really do like it. It's a little less cool than Katara, but then again, Katara has a cool character design in the first place, so yeah. it's kind of got an interesting. But I I actually do like the differences between those two looks. I like mm-hmm. like the the much more like flowing white yeah. garb of the painted lady, and I actually do like it because they do a good job of making Katara's compared to it looks like a costume compared yes. to the painted lady who looks like a proper spirit. So I actually do like that. I don't know how intentionally they thought about that, but it definitely plays that way. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Katara's looks like she'd seen that little statue that Shu pulled out to show them the painted lady. And she used whatever scraps she could find to make a costume that looked like that. Um, 
So yeah, I, I like the fact that the real Painted Lady didn't just look like a fancier version of what Katara came up with. But anyways, all right, so <laughs> that was that. Uh, AJ, I feel like um, to wring some, uh, some small bit of joy out of our discussion of this particular episode, I want to make you spell Doc, Shu, and Bushi. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> that Amazon Prime X-Ray feature oh, yeah. I was telling you about, yeah, I already got oh. all the correct spellings. Wow, you've ruined one of the most fun things about the show. Man. I've ruined the only good thing I contributed to the show. Yeah, you did. I'm glad you realized it. All right. Uh, <laughs> I do, trust me. I do. I, I, I couldn't sleep last night because of it. Um, I, I would like to say that uh, you're, you were talking about this as a Katara-centric episode and how we've had others in previous seasons. Um, no spoilers, but next week we have another Katara-centric episode, which I... I believe is significantly better than this one. Okay. I, I, I feel like you will be more pleased with the next Katara episode than you are with this one. It is okay. definitely a, a very, it is an interesting episode. I'm, I actually am curious how I'm going to react with this time around, but it is, it is, it is definitely not beset by season two level travel humor. <laughs> There's That's no, sure. there, to the best of my recollection, there is no Doc Shu or Bushi in the next Katara episode. So. Look, I take Cabbage Guy over Doc Shu or Bushi. They could you know, have, they could have had know. him selling cabbages. Man, they missed an opportunity. They could have had Bushi Man. be the cabbage seller. Man. Oh, well. All right, well, let's move on to the next episode, Sokka's Master. AJ, what would you think? I liked this episode much more. All right, cool. I, I, I really liked this episode. Um, I like that we followed a Katara-centric episode with a Sokka-centric episode. And this, uh, at first, I thought this was going to be Sokka's... Uh, I haven't compared the show to Buffy in a long time. I thought this was going to be Sokka's uh, Zeppo mm-hmm. episode because he has the exact same... And not saying this is a conundrum unique to Xander on Buffy, but he had the exact same... Like I, it, almost, it almost felt like even the same dialogue. He's just like you, you, you. Like you're all the special ones. Like I'm the only one without powers, and and all of that. What they really needed was him saying, "I'm boomerang guy. That's my thing." And then like Toph doing the is this a penis metaphor? And then it could have just gone the whole way out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I it I, and at first I was like on board with that. I was like, okay, I want to see like the the weird Avatar version of the Zeppo, but. I'm glad that it turned into something else uh, in that Sokka actually proves uh, his worth to himself. Um, uh, how, how do you say the Swordmaster's name? Piondao. Piondao, just like it's spelled, duh. Um, uh, voiced by Robert Patrick. Yeah. Um, and I was, he was terrible in this, by the way. <laughs> oh, he's, oh, he's, no, all right. he's, no, all right. he's not. <laughs> Bad Eric. Um but I really liked uh, the fact that uh, he doesn't he doesn't wind up having to prove his worth to to Piandao. Did mm-hmm. I say it? Yes. Yeah. Um, because Piandao recognizes his worth as soon as he meets him. He has to prove his worth to himself, and I thought that was really uh, I thought the ending was really well earned. Uh, I just thought this was a really enjoyable episode. I refuse to let us talk any more about this episode until we acknowledge Iroh training. Oh, yeah because well okay that is i mean this is a great episode but i just need to get especially re- resolving in the moment of him chucking his robe off <laughs> and like like muscle bound weightlifter iroh hopping up dude is ripped yeah. yeah it's amazing everything about that i love the way it's intercut in like it actually really is intercut into things well too like it's not just cool but 
I got a thrill every damn time they went back to Iro training in that show. And it's it's done so well too. I love the fact that he is just not just letting the guards think that he is a fat, lazy, disgraced, you know, prisoner. Um, like he's encouraging it. He's like he's acting depraved and and crazy every time they see him. And uh, and the the it's a great animation the way that every time he you know he's scrambling across the ground to eat the rice off the floor. And then when the guard leaves, he like wipes those stray strands of hair off his forehead and sits up and all of a sudden, Ooh, there's Iroh. <laughs> it's, and it, I like that it gives Iroh is a new person. Like this is a new Iroh and Iroh we have not seen. It's like a, and you know, is it, is it a reversion to the dragon of the West days? Like has, has the scary Iroh mm-hmm. returned? Is this a new Iroh born out of yet another, death of his but um we'll have to see how it plays out but i like that we have never seen an iro focused like this we've never seen an iro so determined to get to wherever he's going this is not so this is someone who's dealing with the betrayal he felt in a very focused and scary manner and i love it and it's i think that's why it's so cool i'm a sucker for training montage type stuff anyways (laughs) like i still fall into it but i didn't know that about you eric (laughs) I, I'm I'm an easy sell on a training montage. It's true, um, but the fact that you know, there's this is actually like character payoff on top of that really works. Really, really works. And I'm sorry I've like derailed the talk about this episode's actually about to talk about Iroh's ripped chest, but <laughs> I just could not let it go. I was no. so like I, every time he would cut back to it, I was like so close to an actual literal fist bump, and only the fact that I was had my laptop with me kept me from doing it. <laughs> no, that's uh no, I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, that is the B plot in this episode. We should point out the last episode, uh the painted lady, um uh, maybe another reason why it struggled at least for you guys was that it, there was no B plot. It was all just that right. one story. So, yeah. in this one, we at least get the B plot, which is the amazing um workout, you know, it's it's Taibo by Iro or whatever. Taibo by Iro is great. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. We still haven't heard him speak. Nope. Um, we hear obviously like some 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 grunts and and all of that. But I think could be wrong. Uh, I think uh, is it Greg Baldwin doing the previously on Avatar? Yes. Things now. Yeah. Okay. I could tell. I could tell. I'm still. It'll be interesting to hear Iroh speak because I still don't know how I'm going to respond to Greg Baldwin's voice. And I think maybe like the reason they're building uh, Iroh beyond story purposes, the reason they're building Iroh into a new character, a new person is that eventually by the time we hear him, you know, when he does speak, it'll be a a slightly different voice because he's a slightly different person. Maybe they're giving Um, us, they're giving giving us some time without hearing him speak too, just so it won't, you won't go straight from Mako to Baldwin. And as far as training montages go, I just have to say, whenever I think of training montages, I immediately flash to Gizmo with the Rambo <laughs> oh, bandana, the, the, bending the paperclip. Uh, Easily a top five training bench. montage. Yeah. <laughs> Easily. Easily. Wow. Uh, so, so the entire time, all of those Iro scenes that you loved, Eric, I was thinking about Gizmo from Gremlins 2, the new batch. You 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 were thinking about the right thing. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, I am usually thinking about Gizmo from Gremlins to the new batch. So I I can't blame you. <laughs> okay, let's move on from that. <laughs> um, Paul is easily creeped out. Let's talk about soccer. <laughs> yeah, let's let's enough of that. Um, so 
yeah, what do we want to talk about? Um, well, so I, I, I like this episode a lot, and I like it for how wonderfully it portrays Sokka's character development. I mean, it's also pretty cool because he like it turns into a badass swordsman with a meteor sword by yes, the end of it, a space but, sword. Yeah. But it is, it is just, this is a good episode of, like, it is, I like that, and Sokka gets to be surprising the whole way through. Right from the beginning, the easy way of writing this would have been that Sokka, typical cocky Sokka walked in to, and got it, like, beaten out of him by the trainer. Mm -hmm. But he comes in humble. But right at the beginning, his first thing of immediately saying, I don't know if I have any worth, Mm -hmm. is a great moment to start on. And then leading up to the, like, kung fu movie classic moment of, of course they are going to have to fight to settle this discussion. Like, we get to that point, the master pulls his sword, and there's going to be a fight that Sokka has to do on his own. And it's, like, absolutely wonderful classic kung fu movie stuff. So I, I just th- I think this is, like, a delightful episode, just a really delightful episode. It was uh, – so the, the sort of weird time management that I mentioned before, the way that plays out in this one is we see uh, – a lot of Sokka training montages. And then you get the comment from uh, Master Pian Dao, you've had a, a very productive first day, Sokka. And I was like, what? <laughs> that was, that was he did all that training in one day? What the fuck? But um, I, anyways, I, I, the, the show just has to move at a, an accelerated pace. I get that. But it was a little weird that all of that happened in one day. So I guess this whole thing is a couple days, maybe three days. This show has a real problem with with uh, speed of learning skills. It's yeah. just a, it's just I mean it is a a problem that I had with on the Ang level, but is just a problem through and through. With the exception of Katara, yeah, I feel Katara before. is much more realistic. Yeah, yeah, she gets she's been getting better and better through the show, and there's still a moment like maybe at the end of last season when you start realizing, oh my god, she's fantastic now. But she earns that throughout it, and I will say in Sokka's defense that. He was not a bad fighter in the first place. Right. So it's just still ridiculous, but he didn't go from I've never fought before to I'm a sword master in one well, episode. And, and I think it doesn't um, – it's still believable because um, even at the end of the training, the day or two of training that he gets, I mean he's obviously a very skilled swordsman. Um, so he learned some skills, but like he's not he's not yet a master swordsman like – Pian Dao says, if you continue at this pace, you may become even a better swordsman than I am, but you're not there yet. What, what I love is that the, the actual lesson that he received in all of this was to accept what he actually is good at, what he is a master of, which is his uh, creativity, versatility, and intelligence. Those, those, those are the three things that Pian Dao praised him for. And I love that he is on the road to being a master swordsman, um, but He's a master swordsman, like you said, Paul, because he embraces uh, what is great about him, the innate talent that he has. Like, there's that moment where he has to manipulate the rock garden to his advantage, and he turns yeah. it into a comfy chair. Yeah. Um, and that actually, like, I really, I love, because um, I think technical perfection is something that is really overrated uh, when it comes to a lot of things. And so I love that we have, you know, socket embracing who he is like he doesn't like as pn dow says as we trained it wasn't your skills that impressed me no it certainly wasn't your skills certainly wasn't your skills <laughs> uh, but he's still great because he you know embraces who he is and and it's just yeah i i love the whole 
uh, the whole story there. Uh, I, that, oh, go ahead, Paul. I was just going to point out that uh, the character design for, for Master Pian Dao, he was based on Sifu Kisu, who's the, we talked about him early in the show. He was the martial arts consultant for the series, the one that designed all of the bending styles. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, the, the, the thing I also like in the surprise department of this episode is, AJ, you mentioned the point when he constructs himself a comfy chair. In any other thing, the master would have been annoyed. It would have been an ugh, yeah. Sokka moment. But he's on board, and he's like, I want a lemon in my drink to his poor, <laughs> exasperated um, manservant. Whose, so name, like... whose name, I don't, they never say it in the show, but in the credits, his name is Fat. Really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Ouch, I feel really bad for that guy now. Wow. Damn. <laughs> Not only, um, he, not only does he get like the, the he plays the straight man role in the show, but they call him fat. Yeah, on, on, uh, over the line, over the line, Avatar. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's cool. Like, there's a lot of little surprising moments in this show, and and you get a, like again, like the show doesn't. Like, we praise the action in every single episode, practically, but the the fight between Sokka and the ma- and his master is a great fight. Yeah, it's a re- it mostly began because what I like about this show is it's not just like cool things. Again, you get character stuff out of it. You you watch Sokka trying to think his way through the fight and the master's commentary on how he's doing about it as it goes on. And you get a lot of really great moments like when Sokka pins the sword down and um, the master I, and I apologize. I can never remember the master's name. So I'm, I'm I'm just I'm bad with names, but he like levers the sword back and knocks Sokka back into a tree mm-hmm. with it. There's like moments like that feel like real fights and it's just wonderful yeah i I agree in the in in the like the extras that are on the dvds and then in the like various behind the scenes stuff that you can find um there's several examples of them doing choreo like the the like sifu kisu and even i think brian kanetsko is the the creator that was almost always, because he was actually a student of Sifu Kisu, uh, they do choreography for the artists. So all the artists sit around and watch them like run through a fight sequence, like actually physically with each other, so that they can learn how to animate that kind of stuff. That's awesome. So I imagine that there were uh, the sword fight was probably the same. A lot of the the sword movements or whatever, particularly that the master does, that look very stylized. That was probably all like Sifu Kisu showing them how a master swordsman would wield a sword. That is really cool. Very cool. And I just want to point out, I love, and I've always loved sword fights. Mm-hmm. So literally my note for the sword fight in this episode, episode is sword fight with an exclamation point. <laughs> because that's how happy I was about it. And it was so good. Was so good. I love Sokka has a meteor sword. Oh my God. That is, that is so that cool. Is the coolest thing yeah. in the world. Even cooler... It, well, is it cooler than his boomerang? Yes. Oh okay. yeah. All right. It's I, I agree. Your sword. I agree. I feel bad uh-huh. for boomerang. It's being supplanted, but nothing on the show is as cool as meteor sword. <laughs> and uh-huh. and how cool was it that uh, uh, that Toph gets just like a little piece of it to play with? Yeah, just... a bit of space earth. Does she have a crush on Sokka? Oh come on. Is that a thing? Have I missed that in previous episodes? Uh, apparently, because yeah, they. I mean, I feel like they've been subtle, but not that subtle. Well, she, I, I mean, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. They missed you or something. I didn't care. I don't know how I'm gonna feel, and I get. I have no idea what's gonna happen. I I don't know how I'm gonna feel if like so. 
Aang and Katara wind up together and then like Sokka and Toph wind up together, that's going to seem way too neat to me. <laughs> so I'm interested to see what happens. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about this episode I wanted to mention is I love that with uh, Sokka gone, there's like a comedy void. Yeah. In the group, and no, no one else is naturally funny. Um, like, uh, uh, Toph is like, it's so hot. And Aang goes, how hot is it? And Katara, <laughs> Katara tries and absolutely fails. At, uh, Aang's like, I guess the jokes don't run in the family. Everyone's a critic. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should mention that, uh, and I feel like this was a, a pretty subtle piece of character, uh, well, this speaks to character. The fact that now the gang, uh, their parting gift from Master Pian Dao was their very own white lotus tile. Hmm, a Pai Show tile, the white lotus. What is that? What's that all about? Uh, yes. Which a lets little... us know that Pian Dao apparently is a member of the white lotus. A little, me- me- a little. That's why, like, on top of everything else, this episode also drops some, like, cool meta plot yeah. into things, too. There's a lot going on in this episode. It's a, it's a fun episode. Yeah. I like it. Uh, anything else you want to say about it? I like it. <laughs> no, all right. Well, then let's move on to what I'm anticipating will be uh, uh, Eric's favorite episode of these three. But uh, let's start with you, AJ. What would you think of the beach? I liked this episode. Uh, sig- significant, devastating lack of DiCaprio. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> oh, but I, I liked this episode. I don't think, I'm just assuming I did not like it as much as Eric did. Um, but I liked it. And honestly, I want to turn this one over to Eric. Uh, why do you, uh, again, unless I'm wrong, why do you love this episode, Eric? No, you're not wrong. This is absolutely up there with my favorite episodes of the show. I, I have a hard time picking. This is, the Avatar is a show where the finale is so good that I kind of take the finale off the table when I start thinking about what my favorite episode of the show is, because it's kind of not fair to hold up a individual middle episode against like a conclusion. So when I'm, I just want to say when I'm weighing what's my favorite episode of the show, I, I have to weigh middle episodes differently than like the series finale. That aside, I love this episode. I love this episode for a couple of reasons. One of which is I always love episodes that go off format for shows, but and so I'm always in for that. And this is and almost entirely about uh, Azula's crew and Zuko. It's and it deals with them in a very human manner. It's actually the first time we've actually dealt with the three of those characters, minus Zuko, in a human manner since the show started. So we are getting a human look at everyone, including Azula, a very human look at Azula, which I think is really important. Um, also, it is exactly the kind of comedy that I respond to, as opposed to the the um, the Doc Shoe garbage. Um, we get wonderful stuff like Azula's over-competitiveness in playing beach volleyball, and her terrifying attempts to hit on a guy. Oh, I loved I loved her with that guy. And, and together, you and I will be the strongest couple in the entire world. We will dominate the earth. <laughs> I love it. That was great. And and then um and I oh, and then the other side of it, like we get instead of what would normally be a heartwarming ending with the Avatar gang, mm-hmm. we get them coming in to trash the guy's house. Like that's <laughs> yeah. the heart. They all reconcile. Like it is. It's like an inverse Avatar episode. That they all yeah. reconcile, and they're the the lesson they take away is let's go trash that douchebag's house. And then on top of everything else, you also get this amazingly intense character moment um, of them at the fire when they're arguing yeah. with each other, 
which is about as raw emotionally as this show has ever gotten and maybe ever gets. So it's, there's a lot going on in this episode. That the the bonfire sequence is interesting in that it uh, it could almost be laughable because the sort of the the teenage angst is dialed up to eleven, but it's so real for the show, um, and it's so pertinent, particularly Zuko. Um, but yeah, it's one of those where <laughs> when I was a teenager, I liked to imagine that I was much more mature than I actually was. Um, and I wanted, I wanted teenagers to be taken seriously. Now that I'm a 40 something year old man, I want all teenagers to die. No, that's not true. Um, so I feel like it's kind of true. It is. It's kind of true. So I, you know, I watch a, an episode like this and I'm like, Oh God, just shut up about your childhood. But on the other hand, it's, it's really moving and powerful and uh i love the development it gives to the characters so this is if aj if if it's i've been laughing internally about you calling um um may lee i'm, I'm so bad with names may and tylee may and tylee i always get this confused so may being the jane of the show <laughs> well this yeah. is a daria this is a daria episode i mean it's actually uh, very much a daria episode including like them yeah. like ruining everything this is basically an episode of daria in the avatar universe it, it <laughs> It kind of is. Wow, wow, that's yeah. You just you you blew my mind completely. <laughs> Interesting. Man. Interesting. Um, so... What is the Avatar uh, equivalent of Six Ed World? <laughs> um, you will see that it is the Ember Island players. We'll get there. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So I loved Azula as an evil Annette Finicello. I loved all of her stuff. Um, actually, on the beach. Uh, the party was fun. I mean, basically it was Azula. I, I loved Azula in all of the, the awkward trying to be a normal teenager, but our intensity is just way too high for everybody scenes. The whole, that's a sharp outfit, Chan. Careful. You could puncture the hull of an empire class fire nation battleship, leaving thousands to drown at sea because it was so sharp. <laughs> that stuff is hilarious. Um, but uh, aside from the B plot, which we'll get to in a minute, I think my favorite stuff was Zuko walking through the, his family's vacation home yeah, and remembering back to the happier, literally golden days. Um, that was really sad, especially that it pays off with him using all of that as kindling for their tell all. Yeah. And there's a really touching moment like that, that scene where he's going through his childhood home is wordless and really moving. And especially the, the bit where he picks up like his, uh, childhood handprint right. and places his, you know, grown hand over it, you know, mm-hmm. realizing in a concrete way how different things are now, how much, you know, he has changed and how much more he has realized about himself and, and the, you know, the world around him. Um, early on in the process of this podcast, we, uh, I was commenting on the fact that I'm not as much a fan of Azula as Eric is. And it'll be interesting to see how, if the if the process of doing this show all the way through to the end, if that's going to change my feelings. I've seen this episode several times already, but watching it this time, uh, I don't know. I just I keyed in a little bit more on Azula than I have any of the previous times, and uh, it's just, it was it was interesting to me this time to watch. The, the tiny little glimpses of humanity that we get out of Azula in this episode, which you could almost, they were so fleeting and so 
subtle sometimes that you could almost imagine that it was just a fluke of the art. Like it wasn't like maybe it wasn't even intentional, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was. Specifically things like when she apologizes for making Ty Lee cry. That is something I never would have expected to see yeah. Azula do. And she there's there are a couple of moments where she actually even kind of seems to treat her brother with the smallest fraction of a percent of actual concern. Um I mean, of course, she blows it by the end. The whole, uh, oh, what was it? Um, my own mother thought I was a monster. She was right, of course, but it still hurt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting knowing, uh, like Eric and I do, knowing her story going forward. It's it's interesting to spot little cracks in the armor, basically. She- She's an immensely sad character, and I like that this show, and this is actually one of the reasons why this episode is so important to me, is that it does something that shows almost never do, which is deeply humanize their their big bad, basically. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, they can't do that with with so with uh, Ozai because Ozai is is Mark Hamill, so there's only so far they can do with that. <laughs> but but so but Azula is like are the face. She's really the face of the evil of the Fire Nation. You know what I mean? Like that she is the legacy of the Fire Nation's evil. And this is the episode where we start to get to see what it means to have been raised to be that and what that does to you. That she is completely unsure of how to be human to anyone. But it's very clear that she would like to be able to be. Like she – as much as she has – as much as everyone else – and I think it's it's very interesting when you start having everyone else talk about their trauma in this. Like Ty Lee's talk about how she views herself and how Circus Freak is a compliment. You start to realize that all of these personas are things they've built to compensate for the things they've had in their life. Mm-hmm. And you can and and even though you get less of that from Azula, you start to really see how much of what she has done is because in her this is her only defense mechanism. So she comes off of this episode for me as being very, very sad, which makes her more scary to me as a villain going forward. AJ, how'd you feel about all that? Um yeah, I I, I really liked everything with Azula in this episode. I do think it's a more human uh, look at her. I don't know. I feel like talking, like listening to you guys talk about this episode, I feel like I like it much more than I did when I was actually watching it. I liked it as I was watching it, but there was a part of me that felt like like I appreciated on one level what they were trying to do, and I thought there were some really effective moments. But then on the other hand, it, it felt a little bit, and I know I'm about to be stoned for this, but it felt a little bit like Avatar fan fiction. Like the, the the Fire Nation gang takes a trip to the beach, they crash at a house party. Like it, it just it felt like. And there's that line at the end where Ty Lee, and this is not the exact dialogue, but she says because I, I couldn't get it, but it was like, Lo and Lee were right. The beach did teach us about ourselves. Yes, like, really. really. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna blame Nickelodeon for that one. Um, <laughs> no, I know, I know. But uh. Still, that was. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's impressive, again, for a Nickelodeon show to do something like this, to, uh, you know, you said this is an inverse Avatar episode where the Aang gang gets, uh, you know, booted over to a B plot and we get a lot of character. Character work is the A plot. And I like that. Uh, I liked uh, Chan and Ranjan. <laughs> um, and, I, and I loved I loved when uh, so Azula is trying to take Ty Lee's. Uh, advice uh, to to laugh at a guy's jokes, and Chan is talking about how there's so much sand on Ember Island, and she's like, he's like, yeah, it's like it's like welcome to Sandyland, <laughs> and she yeah. laughs at it. Yeah. It was it was yeah, that was really funny, and I'm I'm 
weirdly invested in the Zuko May relationship. Good. Yeah. Good. I I really like that relationship. I really like that pairing. Um, I hope those kids can make it work. It, I, it, I find it very interesting that this show, with, with this episode, that the most overtly teenage episode of this entire series is in a lot of ways its most mature emotionally. Yeah. It it's you know there I don't think the show ever deals quite as head on with these kinds of emotions at all in the show. But here's this episode that is a teen that's teen beach movie basically. Yes. Yep. And we end up in this bonfire sequence where they're it's, like it's, lit. It's it's beach blanket Zuko. It, there you go. <laughs> uh, I had to interrupt you to make that joke. It it was it was pretty good. I'm glad you did that. Um. But they, you know, you get to a point where they're like laying out this like pretty severe trauma that they all have about each other, and I don't know. It, I, I'm, I think it's interesting, and I, I like it, and I, I, I will, I will put a star next to this as the like the power of YA. Why people shouldn't not mm-hmm. YA. This is like a straight YA story, and it is, um, it is. and I, and it and it digs in deep when it does it. I need to. I think I need to watch this again. Don't but... until you've watched the whole show. It actually is okay. better. Um, the second time through, because once you yeah. see where everything's going, I find that this is a, an episode that improves on post series watching. Okay, and then just like there's another line though in the same scene where Tylee's like, "I think they were right." Um, Zuko and I get I get the big overwrought teenage emotion thing, but Zuko has a line, and I had to, I'm I laughed. I'm so sorry I laughed at this, but he goes. My father decided to teach me a permanent lesson on my face. face. <laughs> yes, I wrote that. Jesus I wrote that line down too. Yeah. I like that. I like that line, and I feel bad, AJ. I think you stole twelve tag. No, 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 no. It's, um, it's good. I had that line <laughs> written down too because I loved the delivery, and I, I wrote it down. And the on my face is in all caps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mine too. In my notes as well. Um, so, so, AJ, what did you think about the reveal of Third Eye Guy? Yeah. Okay. Wait. Before you go on. Um, that character is referred to by a name in in like episode descriptions and stuff. But he has not been given a name on oh. the show yet. So, Eric, what is your ruling? Can we refer to him by name now or do we just want to wait? AJ's watching um, X-Ray um, Vision Amazon right now. So I think there's a pretty good chance he'll get it anyways. Okay. Or he may have already. So I think we can Man, go with that. I, I don't know the name. Is it like a spoiler? Like if I Not hear really. the name, am I going to? No, no, it's just really it's, like refer, referring to him as Sideways Eye Guy. No. It's it's a, it is a, it is, I'm pretty sure it's a Sokka naming moment, basically. Yeah, right? I, I think they, I think they go back and forth over what they're going to call him. And oh, they okay. eventually come up so, with this name. So. so, okay. If that's the case, we won't, we won't give it then. Right. We won't give We won't give so it. So he'll be Sideways Eye Guy until. Okay. Um, so let's talk about that. That was weird. That, as Toph said, well, that was random. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had that note written, that line written down because that's exactly how I felt. Like all of a sudden, there's this character in uh, Avatar who feels like he jumped from like '60s X-Men comics, like shooting like like spirals of energy out of his forehead. Um, but on, let's be honest, the most disturbing thing about that B plot is Sokka had his hair down at one point. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, when he woke up, yeah. That was, I am still recovering from that. <laughs> that weirded you out, huh? The, so the, the thing I like about uh, Sideways Eye Guy's power, as much as it is totally an X Men power, it's a great way of putting it, um, is that I like the sound effect and visual effect of it. Yes. Like it's actually really cool. Like I mean, it is like like Star Wars is always really good at giving like 
like powers and things, awesome effect sound effects to go with them. And that's what this reminds me of. It's just like a, a really memorable effect. It's, I feel like my first reaction to this character, uh, the first time I watched the show was maybe a little bit of what AJ just said. Like, wow, that's, that seems out of place. This is an X-Men character or whatever. He has really grown on me and I especially love the depiction of his power. So the, the creators were talking about this, this character came out of, um, I, I apologize to the director uh, the writer or director who brought this up, but one of the staff writers or directors came, you know, suggested, how about if we uh, introduce some firebenders who can like hone their power, like pull their powers together and basically cause a nuclear explosion. And uh, I, I think it was Brian Konitsko was like his, he said his first response was, well, that's just stupid. And then like 10 seconds later, he was like, but wait a minute, maybe we could use this. What if they shoot it from their forehead because that makes it better? <laughs> well, so I guess the idea here is that this is someone who uh, focuses firebending so intensely or whatever. And they, and you noticed he's got like a prosthetic hand and a prosthetic leg. That was to set up the right. idea that this guy had fucked himself up developing this ability. I see. Um, but See, it's... okay, so I, I'm glad to hear that he's grown on you because my reaction to this was not very positive. My reaction to this was like, I know that I've had to, you know, this is an animated fantasy adventure series. There's a lot you have to accept. Totally cool with, you know, a whole, you know, with all of these people bending different elements. I'm, you know, completely cool with all of that. But then you get to a muscle-bound cyborg guy who shoots energy from his forehead. And I'm like, this seems like a leap for this show. I feel like this is this is like an, this is like testing me. Like, how much do I trust this show? That again, I'm going to accept a cyborg who fires like well, spirals well, energy from his. Okay, well, hold on. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna seat this in the mythology of the show. Okay. Okay. So he is basically shooting lasers out of his forehead, right? Uh huh. Uh -huh. Okay. The forehead in the chakras is the light chakra. And it is the chakra that explains that the greatest illusion in the world is one of separation, that things that seem separate and different were, in fact, the same. So in he brings up Toph learning metal bending in that scene, basically, that Earth is just right. metal. So anyways, the forehead is the light chakra. And it is very possible that that makes sense for why this power, why, why he's not just throwing this out of his hands, that he has honed a specific version of firebending through his light chakra. I, I I applaud you for that, Eric. That was amazing that you brought the whole chakra into it. That's, that was genuinely impressive. That's That was very cool. So we'll take a moment. I'll insert some applause sound effects right here. <laughs> um, I, 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 I will I tell to, you. Uh, Go ahead. I think, I think I just need time. I need to see this character a little more. Yeah. I'll tell you that the... Um, I would love to believe that they actually had that whole uh, seventh chakra idea in mind when they designed this character. I don't know if they did or not, but what I do know about the design of the character, he was meant to be the anti-Aang, um, which is why they made him big and bulky and slow and quiet, in, whereas Aang is small and wiry and never shuts up. And isn't he bald and Aang has hair now? And he... And he's bald and he's got a tattoo on his forehead uh -huh. and Aang's got a tattoo on his forehead. So they were going and, and the tattoo, the design of the tattoo they say is uh, inspired by the Hindu God Shiva, the 
god or goddess of destruction. But anyways, right. so just his like physical look was meant to be sort of the anti-Aang. That's why they went with that. And something I didn't I didn't actually notice in the animation until I I sort of read the behind the scenes stuff on the development of the character and then watched the episode. His like his prosthetic hand it doesn't move. Like he's it's not he's a cyborg in the sense that yes, he's got prosthetics, but his hand is not robotic or anything. It doesn't move. It's just a metal hand that's always in that claw right shape so so he's dr claw so he's dr claw so uh, so uh, slightly less like if the whole cyborg thing if the if you were concerned that they were bringing too much of like a sci-fi bent into this right um you know maybe that will help alleviate he doesn't have a robot hand or anything it's just a metal hand yeah it's pretty much just another unique bending ability which this series has given us um many times and will give us again Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this is a a focusing of firebending, basically. This is just a, f- a very unique form of firebending. Right? That's really his only yeah. power. He's big. I don't think. He, I don't even know if he ever does anything physically. To be perfectly honest, he might. But yeah, but I can't. I can't remember if he ever slaps anybody with that hand or not. Okay. But um, um, to go back to the uh, Doctor Claw thing for a second, oh would this show be so much better if oh, they geez. if they had to shout like "Go go gadget fire"? Or something every time they yeah. use their powers. I think that would heighten that the would, dramatic potential of the that, show. That, that, that would definitely be a massive improvement over the show. I completely yeah, agree. I, yeah. I'm so excited that you weren't writing the show, Adrian. <laughs> okay, so let's ignore, let, let's leave aside whether or not uh, Sideways Eye Guy is, <laughs> is a cool design or you like his power or whatever. Let's talk about the, the fight because I have to talk about all the, the cool fight sequences that we get and. I loved this one. It was quick. There wasn't a lot to it, but I loved the way that the stuff played out. Like, I love things like Toph senses, his, senses him coming and wakes everybody up, and then they look at him, and they're all surprised, and then Aang gets the, realizes, oh, crap, something's about to happen, um, and then sideways eye guy, like, blows shit up. And you see Toph immediately, like, tuck and roll, and she comes up and immediately throws rocks at. I just, I love the choreography, how everybody tried to do something. And then, um, Aang got that cool slow motion. Oh, air that blast is so cool. Oh my God. That is so cool. That launches him into the air. And then he earth blasts his way through a pillar of rock. Fucking awesome. He, he becomes like a rock soldier yes. for a second. That yes. was really cool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm literally watching a gif right now of him, that slow-mo shot because it's so, so it's so cool. Yeah, it's it's a really great, and I love the way that people use their powers to like in different ways on the fight. Like, I like that when Katara throws water at him, he 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 like laser bends it, and he, he um, blasts it, and it turns into it, steam. It turns into steam, and it gives them a cover. Like, it's just yeah. so cool. There's so many cool things happening in this fight, and I and I do like someone having a unique power purely on the level of it makes for a unique fight sequence. You know, mm-hmm. it makes the fight sequences feel different than when you don't just have another powerful firebender. Which would mean like, well, now it's it's going to take away from Azula or Zuko's right. fights, you know. Right. Like if you just get another good Firebender, then what is what's the point of of Azula or Zuko? Or is this is like a very different feeling from fighting Azula or Zuko? And we can't I can't remember who got to who said it, um, but one of them was like, "How do we fight a guy that can? Was it Sokka? How do we fight somebody that blows stuff up with their mind?" So yeah, <laughs> it was like we don't. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, we don't. We get out of here. So, yeah, that was a that was a cool yeah fight sequence. I'm gonna have to see more. 
that I'm just gonna have to see more. Okay, you, you, you will see more, and I understand. I, I I think I had a very similar reaction to you at this point, AJ, just because again, like, there's always sort of like, what, what's going on? Why is that here? I, you know, so I've been there. The the, uh, the show will do it a, a couple more times, and it and it also it happens in, um, in Legend of Korra where they'll introduce something new, and at least for me. Um, it takes a little while to kind of adjust to it, particularly in Korra. There are a couple things, and Eric, I, I get the feeling that you embraced Korra much more readily than I did. It took me a little while to warm up to Korra, but there are a couple times where they'll they'll like introduce a new thing, and and I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm down for this. I want it to be more like Avatar, <laughs> you know. So it it takes a little while to adjust. I feel. I, you know, no, Korra does have that problem. We'll, we'll, we'll get to Korra when we get there. I have, I have interesting thoughts on Korra as a whole. But yes, Korra do- definitely leans a little harder into this sort of thing of like, let's introduce something new and run with it. Avatar, there's not that many of these left, yeah. I think, in Avatar. There's there's one or two more of of this kind of thing. But but yes, uh, you, you will be seeing uh, Sideways Eye Guy, Third Eye Blind, one more time. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Or more than one more time. Beautiful beautiful um, all right I, I i yeah i i the other problem with this episode that is like and it doesn't really bother me because it's b plot and it's not a big deal but the whole way that ang gets discovered is kind of like it, there's a lot of convenient plotting on the b plot in this episode yeah with like ang gets seen by the people and they send a a hawk and and third eye blind has his own hawk who ties up the other hawk i, I don't yeah I don't that know. was i did, like, I did like the hawk fight <laughs> See, see, I was, I was like, I was a little, um, not that I wanted the hawk to, the one hawk to kill the other. I don't, I never want that, even in cartoons. But I was like, that was a little sanitized. Yeah, what, <laughs> that, what hawk? What hawk gets into a fight with a hawk and, and, and doesn't go and, for the kill? And, and yeah, a, ties it up. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, and 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 me. Okay, maybe if someone had trained their hawk that way, like Ang might train a hawk to do that. Yeah, but but would this would this guy train his hawk to? To non-violently um, <laughs> exactly subdue other other hawks that are his enemies. I don't I don't know what's going on. It was just all very, it was all very convenient to get him to that point. And I feel like it had been better off if he just showed up. Like actually, this is like one of the situations where I would have rather no explanation. Yeah, and he just showed up personally. I, I think I agree. So, but it doesn't matter because I love the rest of the episode so much that I don't give a shit. <laughs> all right. Um, anything else we can say about any of these three episodes? this was these three episodes were a reminder to me of why season three stuck out in my head so much as being a great season. I don't say that. Like I, I had a little bit of worries early on that maybe this wasn't as solid of a season as I remembered, but I am bullish right now on the rest of the show. Awesome. Awesome. AJ, how are you feeling? I, I'm, I'm not as enthusiastic overall as you guys were, I think. Um, but I, 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 I liked these episodes for the most part. And as always, I can't wait to see where it goes from here. All right. So Third well. Eye Blind. That was good. <laughs> that was good. That, that was, was good. really good. That was your your high water mark on the show so far. Eric. I, I I don't. I, it's going to be it. You might as well just kick me off now. H- have oh, we? God, have we reached the midi chlorian bending yet? No, no. We, don't worry. I'll I'll shout it out when we get there. All right. I just want to make sure that does that it's, does not go forgotten. We, we we are we are still we are still decently off from it. Okay. All right, so you have that to look forward to, listeners. Forgot that was looming in the, it's, the it's, future. We we we, we literally okay. I'm just gonna say we are lit- it is going to be one of the last things we discuss on this on this 
show on the avatar part of the show. It's going to be one of the last things we talk about. All right. Wow. I, I'm, I'm legitimately puzzled what this could be. I, I'm I going to disappoint you because I feel like it's really <laughs> obvious, but, but the fact that you're not seeing it as obvious means that you are going to be disappointed when I start talking about it. Well, that's fine. That's par for the course. We're disappointed right. by most things. So that's fair. All right. Well, thank you everybody at home for listening. Uh, as always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes on the website. That's the avatarreturns.com. Links will also be posted on our parent show's site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Or subscribe to the show on iTunes, and every episode will be hand-delivered to you personally by our flying email lemur. Feed the lemur by dropping us an email at tarpodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, you can always find us on social media. Like us on Facebook for all of our updates, or follow us on Twitter. The show is twitter.com slash tarpodcast. And on Twitter, I'm at haunt1013. Eric is at salon, that's S-A-A-L-O-N, and AJ is at Unplugged Crazy. Uh, next week, we're actually not here. We're taking a short break, uh, but we will, we will be back the second week of March uh, to discuss chapters 306 to 308. That's the Avatar and the Fire Lord, the Runaway, and the Puppet Master. Until then, remember, we have defeated you for all time. You will never rise from the ashes of your shame and humiliation. I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. You could cut ties with all the lies that you've been living in And if you do not want to see me again I would understand I would understand The angry boy a bit too insane I sing over a secret pain You know you do